Prepare yourself, you're about to listen to The Jam Commission, the sworn enemy of lies and collectivism, and the podcast for all those who fear God more than they fear man. Now here's your host, Jam. Welcome to it, and a very special welcome to all the first-time listeners to the very first episode of The Jam Commission. I'm your host, Jam, and I really want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in, and I hope that as we continue this new adventure together, that we will both learn and grow together, and that you'll find this podcast engaging, informing, and a real blessing in your life. You know, everyone can agree that these are crazy times we are living through, and as 2020 progresses, they seem to be just getting more and more insane. It's why I started this podcast, because as Benjamin Franklin put it, the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of man, and I haven't even lived that long. And because as a Christian I have become increasingly discouraged at the lack of Christian church leadership on any issue of the current day, being shown by our Christian leaders here in Canada, more specifically by those of my generation, our young faith leaders and pastors in the church. In fact, I argue that this lack of Christian leadership on any current issue of the day by church leaders is one of the fundamental reasons that the church has been regulated by a vast majority of society to merely an institution that marks the passage of time for people through various rituals such as baptism, weddings, and burials, as opposed to the powerful life-giving and life-changing faith that provides society as it has always done in the past, with an ethically moral compass which honors God by descending to evil wherever it is found, whether that be in the community, academia, the marketplace, or our houses of government. A voice of dissent led by the Holy Spirit and based on Christian orthodoxy that the people are crying out for. As was seen when Pastor John MacArthur got up to preach this past Sunday, following his church, Grace Community Church, releasing a statement directly confronting California's attempt to prohibit or restrict faith gatherings, which read in part, Faithfulness to Christ prohibits us from observing the restrictions you want to impose on our corporate worship services. Did so to a standing ovation. Because the people want Christian leaders who, yes, will follow the scriptures of Romans 12.18 to live at peace with everyone, but only as far as it is possible. For just as Christ our example is the Prince of Peace, he is also the Lord of Hosts. And as I've been contemplating where the men who know Christ have gone in our churches here in Canada, and quite frankly, while I've been waiting and praying and hoping and waiting for them to stand up and begin to speak God's truth, which enables the people to combat the destructive evil that has now gripped the Western world culturally and politically, and which is literally manifesting itself in violence, chaos, and death in our streets, as a civil war between the radical left Marxist revolutionaries and everyone else begins in the West, God has been pressing on my heart that I can't wait for those who he has made leaders of his flock here in Canada to speak, and instead I must begin to put my seminary training to work and do what I can to begin to speak the truth that must be heard in the face of this evil, and begin to warn Christians and the church here in Canada that they must quickly begin to wake up, they must not lose their saltiness, and that they must fear God more than they fear man, or else it may be too little too late very soon. And I can already hear it now. What are you talking about? These things are happening in the States, and we all know they are crazy. We live in Canada where these things will never get out of control. We are too nice, after all. To which I respond, You know, we as Canadians, especially in our churches, were daring to apply biblical principles and the commands of Jesus outside of personal relationships and instead to societal challenges and ills has increasingly become anathema, have long enjoyed pretending that we are somehow immune from the social troubles that the United States experiences or that when Marxists cause domestic social unrest, riots, revolution, and violence in the streets in the States, it is inconsequential to our lives here in Canada. In fact, we the Church in Canada believe, much to our detriment and in doctrinal error, that Canadians are somehow better people who have created a more perfect society, 
that we are less susceptible to total depravity than our American counterparts. We are too nice, after all. Yet as Christians we know that every person, regardless of nationality, is totally depraved and dead in sin without the salvific work of Jesus Christ, which enables grace and faith to be supplied to us as a gift by the Holy Spirit. Thus, while we as Canadians like to look down upon the United States whenever we can, so as to make ourselves feel better as a nation, it is imperative that we acknowledge that the real reason we see more bloodshed, chaos, and revolutionary activities play out in the United States than in Canada is primarily because, all, as all the enemies of the West understand, if the United States falls, freedom ends, darkness spreads around the world, and those who walk with the living God can begin to be globally and systematically eliminated and destroyed. And secondarily, because Canada, culturally and politically, has already succumbed to radical leftist Marxist ideology to a much greater degree than the United States because of our continually weakening church leadership. Thus, oftentimes, politically and culturally, we as a society not only offer no dissent to Marxist thinking, but even actively support and promote it amongst our citizenry and around the world. This is why it is so important that we as Canadians, and especially we Canadian Christians, pay attention to what is happening in the United States, and acknowledge that whether we like it or not, there is a reason their president is called the leader of the free world. Since if we don't even want to acknowledge and begin to learn and understand like our enemies do, where the battlefield is and what our enemies' objectives are, we who love God and who love freedom have no chance at winning this war against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In fact, we must pay even closer attention than ever before to what is happening next door, because the cultural and political civil war being waged in the states by the radical left Marxist revolutionaries against everyone else is now spilling over and, and it has always been the case, is happening in our own backyard and in one of our own great cities, Toronto. Since as two reporters, Sam Edwards and Beth Bache at the Post Millennial reported on July 16, 2020, the same Marxist ideology that is causing chaos and death on the streets of America is alive and on full display on our streets here in Canada. This can be seen from the news report titled, BLM activists swarm Toronto Police Headquarters to protest against body cams and the police budget. It describes how protesters gathered outside of Toronto Police Headquarters on College Street on July 16, 2020 to rail against the police budget and the use of body cams, chanting, No justice! No peace! Abolish the police! And the system isn't broken, it was built this way. And while the Toronto Police Sur all while the Toronto Police Services Board began their fourth town hall meeting on police accountability, reform, and community safety priorities. The article goes on to point out that the group organizing the protest is named No Pride in Policing Coalition, a group that aligns itself with the radical Marxist BLM movement. How do we know this? Because one of the leaders of the No Pride in Policing Coalition during the protest states this emphatically. Can you please play clip one? So as you can see, not only does this group align itself with the Marxist BLM movement, but it seeks the same goal, to abolish the police. In fact, on their Facebook page, the group claims that Toronto City Council is clinging to its history of police violence and voting to increase police budgets and surveillance, all while other cities defund police and reinvest in communities. Or as an organizer put it for the group, after the Toronto City Council refused calls to defund the police earlier this month, opting instead to increase body cam use and implement anti-racism measures and trainings, quote, 
We will not be fooled and we will never alter our demands to defund, disarm, demilitarize, and abolish the police, unquote. Yet I wonder who is really trying to fool who, since in communities where cities have de decided to defund the police and quote-unquote reinvest in communities, those same largely minority communities are now plagued with record-breaking crime and murder. Let's take a look at New York, for example, where on June 15, 2020, in response to cries from radical left groups to abolish the police, City Mayor Bill de Blasio eliminated the plainclothes anti-crime unit, consisting of 600 specially trained officers who were designated and trained to prevent shootings and other violent crimes from occurring on the streets of New York. Moreover, due to cuts to the police budget in response to the abolish the police crowd, the hiring of a class of over 1,163 police recruits was cancelled. Lastly, New York City passed much-needed bail reform in order to make the police departments of New York less racist. So what were the effects of these cuts to the police budget and the subsequent reinvesting of that money in these minority communities? Shootings in these communities for the month of June when the, these defund and reinvest policies came into effect are up 130%, with 205 shootings occurring in New York City compared to just 89 in June of last year. While Grand Theft Auto was 50, up 50% and burglaries were up 118%. All the while, the police that are trying to keep New Yorkers safe are being physically assaulted, pelted in the head with projectiles such as glass bottles, and facing hostile BLM Marxists on the street every day, leading to retirement requests by officers increasing by 400% and the city attempting to limit the number of police officers who can re retire at a time, especially with the budget cuts leading to the hiring of 1,163 police recruits to be cancelled. Not only that, but the criminals are becoming more and more brazen, with many of these shootings of violent crimes now happening in broad daylight, with many of the victims of these violent crimes being children as young as one-year-old Devel Gardner, who was shot while playing in the neighborhood playground, an unidentified 7-year-old girl, 14-year-old, 15-year-old, 15-year-old, 16-year-old, an 11-year-old boy by the name of Treshawn who was playing outside of his home, and a 17-year-old boy named Brandon Henricks, who had just graduated from high school days before and who was going to start college at St. John's College in the fall. A disturbing trend that shows the disdain Mayor de Blasio has for the people of New York, as while New Yorkers and their children are literally being shot in the street due to Black Lives Matter defund and reinvest policies that Mayor de Blasio embraced, the mayor has what police are left on the streets to try and stem this violence, not out on patrol trying to find the violent criminals and prevent violent crime, but standing around downtown protecting the Black Lives Matter mural from the worst crime of them all, graffiti. All the while, the Black Lives Matter mural itself is nothing more than an unsanctioned graffiti that should be removed from the taxpayer-funded streets of New York. Moreover, we know that thanks to Mayor de Blasio anti-racist bail reform, those who do happen to be arrested for illegal possession of weapons or for committing violent crimes will be back out on the street in a few days. This is because the anti-racist bail reform implemented by Mayor de Blasio allows violent criminal offenders to be released back onto the streets if they are unable to be tried before a judge within a few days, directly resulting in many violent offenders committing various violent crimes before being put on trial and finally being locked away. To which Mayor de Blasio responds by bragging about how New York admitted this horrific spike in violent crime now has the lowest number of incarcerated inmates in its city jails since World War II. Yes, because you let them out and they are all now out on the streets committing crime, Mr. Mayor. Yet surely there must be some place where these defund and reinvest policies are working for people. I mean, New York is already known for its crime. What about other American cities where this has been tried? What about cities that, have con that are considered to be much safer in general than New York? and that nationally and, hist and historically have had lower than average crime rates. Well, let's take Minneapolis, where they have vowed to disband the city's police department and have already cut more than $1 million from the police budget to reinvest in communities. On July 9th, the U.S. Attorney for the District of Minnesota, Eric H. McDonald, 
had no choice but to announce the formation of a new violent crime task force to respond to the increasing violence that has plagued the streets of Minneapolis ever since the tragic death of George Floyd and the subsequent cuts to the police budget. In fact, similarly as in New York, homicides in June and into July have more than doubled over the same period last year, with over 120 people being shot and aggravated assaults are up nearly 20%, demonstrating that these radical left-wing policies have the same effect wherever they are tried. They embolden criminals, make the streets unsafe for Americans, and enable criminals to dominate the streets. Interesting how all these conditions sound like the perfect conditions for fostering a violent Marxist revolution. You know, the one that Black Lives Matter proponents and their allies such as No Pride and Policing Coalition have been talking about amongst themselves for years, and now recently out in the public square? This is why the radical left-wing Democrat supporters like Mayor de Blasio of New York were quick to provide the smokescreen, insisting that the reason violent crime spiked on these streets is not because there are less police preventing violent crime and apprehending violent criminals, and not because the police officers that do remain are now underfunded and so quickly becoming unequipped to deal with the violence, and certainly not because his far-left policies release violent criminals out onto the streets within a few days. No, it is because of COVID-19. You know the disease that has had New York in a stress-inducing lockdown since March 22nd, with New York State Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez assisting the mayor with the smokescreen by seeing that these lockdown measures have caused people to be put in a position where they must decide whether to go hungry or steal food, and this is the real reason that there is this surge in violent crime. Of course, clearly these crimes resulting in tragic murders of one-year-old Deval Gardner while he was playing at a park and 11-year-old Trayshawn who... Playing, who was playing outside of his home were because people were simply trying to rob the residential street and park so they could have food to eat. I mean, everyone knows the park sells the best bread. Not to mention that in multiple locations across the country, these spikes in violent crime have been correlated not with the presence of lockdowns and COVID-19, but rather always with protests and riots caused by Black Lives Matter Marxists taking to the streets to ferment violent revolution and with the subsequent implementation by Democrat politicians of BLM defund and reinvest policies that seek to, quote, defund, disarm, demilitarize, and abolish the police, unquote. Yet, of course, because the smokescreen doesn't make any sense to anyone, the Democrats have started to revise the real reason for this surge in violent crime, stating now that it is because of the guns on the street. With Mayor Lori Lightfoot of Chicago, where BLM is quite active in protesting and rioting, resulting in violent crime soaring since June with murders up 34% and shootings up 45%, amongst the cries to defund the police, taking it even further, stating that it's the gun guns that come from those states where there are no gun control laws that are to blame for the violence in Chicago. You mean the conservative states? The states where BLM isn't actively demanding the dismantling of police departments, and therefore where no spike in violent crime is being experienced? Those states are to blame because of their defense of, of Americans' Second Amendment rights to bear arms for the purpose of self-defense. Those states who have always existed right next to Chicago and who have not made any changes recently in their gun laws. They are to blame for the sudden uptick in violence playing out on the city streets in Chicago since June. Not the violent BLM Marxists who have taken to the streets since June and who have defunded or are demanding the defunding of city police departments. Really? They couldn't be to blame? You know, when I was in university getting my major in philosophy, one of the first things that we learned in epistemology was how to assess which explanation should be considered true when deciding between it competing explanations for the same phenomena. And one of the most important criteria when assessing an explanation was its simplicity in being able to explain the phenomena, meaning that of all these explanations given to explain the sudden spike in violence and crime in various cities across the country, the only explanation that is not only logical, and the only explanation that commonly exists in all the locations experiencing these violent upticks in crime, 
and is also the simplest in being able to explain these spikes in violent crime across the country, is because BLM Marxists have taken to the streets to ferment revolution and have subsequently defunded and demanded the defunding of police ever since June. This is why it is so important that we here in Canada back the blue, and understand that blue lives matter just as all lives matter, and understand that these calls to defund, disarm, demilitarize, and abolish the police have nothing to do with quote-unquote reinvesting in communities, in police accountability, or even in racial equity. Since as people in these communities are telling us, if this is what defund and reinvest policies look like, please, for the love of God, stop. Not to mention that when you start to go through the demands of the No Pride in Policing Coalition, and you read that their demands include, quote, no to body cams, unquote, but yes to, quote, document police violence, unquote, it is clear that they don't care about the truth which body cams capture and actual police accountability which body cams would provide, but rather was simply demonizing the police as racist violent thugs through the documentation of police violence while at the same time depriving police of their ability to defend themselves with the truth that the body cams would provide. This goal to demonize police is the same reason that the radical left immediately sought to cancel two of the most popular shows on television, Live PD and Cops. Again, because these two television shows demonstrated through body cams and actual live footage the valuable work that police officers do to protect and defend citizens across the United States. With all that being said, I'm not a fan of the many left-wing progressive politicians that make up Toronto City Council, but I thank God that the City Council has rejected the demands put forth by BLM and No Pride in Policing Coalition activists here in Toronto, in favor of actual police accountability in the form of more body cams and actual safe communities by investing in the police and police training. Because without safe communities, it doesn't matter how much you invest in them, because no progress can be made in communities without first protecting the lives, livelihood, and property of all citizens in that community. And you know, that starts and ends with us, the citizenry, standing up for our police and ensuring that we continue to demand not the abolishing of our police officers because Marxists falsely accuse them of being violent racist thugs, but rather valuing our police officers and continuing to provide them with the respect they deserve and acknowledgement of their authority as commissioned protectors of our community, who, according to the scriptures in John 15:13, show us the greatest love, by putting their life on the line every day for us as they go about their valuable work of protecting our freedoms and our way of life from those who seek to shatter and destroy it, the violent criminals and the violent revolutionary Marxists. So to all Canadian police officers out there, thank you for your service, and may God walk with you, bless you, protect you, and keep you tonight and always. Finally, always remember that Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells us so. This has been Jam for the Jam Commission, Ephesians 6, 10-18. Good night, and God bless. You've been listening to The Jam Commission. Check out more of the show on demand at anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, CastBox, Pocket Casts, YouTube, or wherever podcasts are found. Also connect with and follow Jam on Facebook, Twitter, Parlor, and Instagram at The Jam Commission.